of the Word of the Lord. We're going to four verses to begin with. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, just after the book of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the book of Isaiah chapters 42 and 43. Not the whole chapters, but just a verse or two. And Hebrews 11. Ecclesiastes 1, Isaiah 42 and 43. And Hebrews 11. I forget, later on there will be a little bit of fellowship after. If you want to stay and have a cup of tea or coffee with us, please feel free to do so. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm still hearing some pages, so I'll give you a moment. I know I've thrown four chapters at you. Ecclesiastes 1, Isaiah 42 and 43, and Hebrews 11. Some rustles. Steve's just rustling to make me wait longer, I think. But uh. <laughs> alrighty, let's read Ecclesiastes chapter one and verse nine. It says the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Isaiah chapter forty-two. Verse 9 says, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things I do declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Across the page, perhaps to chapter 43 and verse 19. The Lord said, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And one more verse, and then you can probably put your Bibles up for a while. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We know that it is quick or that it is alive and that it is powerful, Lord God. And we pray, Lord, that as you, Lord, would use me to share the things that you've laid upon my heart, that, Lord, your spirit would move among us to receive what you would have us to hear, Lord, and that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would change us, Lord, for your word is given to transform us, Lord, working together with your spirit. We want you to have your way. In this place, Lord, help us to be surrendered. Help us to be yielded to you, Lord, and allow your word to have its way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless the Lord. The writer of Ecclesiastes, some debate about who that might be, spoke of his consideration of life and of the ways of man, and he concluded that basically everything continues as it always has, that seasons come, Seasons go, and man, although there are maybe variations in his methods and the way that he does things, man is basically the same from generation to generation. And he concludes with the statement in that verse that there is nothing new under the sun. Uh, it's obviously not a reference to material development or industrial or technological development because 
there's always new ideas coming out in those fields, but rather it is a reference to mankind and the cycle of his life. That throughout history, if you remove the physical things that surround us, man is basically the same creature. The same struggles, the same desires, the same weaknesses, the seasons of life come and go, and there is nothing that is new at that level of mankind. But then in Isaiah, the Lord is, if you read the context and you read chapters 42 and 43, the Lord is challenging His people to trust Him. And He is reminding them that He brought them through the Red Sea, that it was something that they had not seen happen before, and yet He did it. And in the two verses that we read, the Lord states that He will do a new thing. And that before he does this new thing, that he will tell them. Perhaps not in exact details or in precise timing, because there is always the element of faith in our relationship with God. He doesn't give us everything. But God said, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And then the people of Hebrews chapter 11 are a testament to the fact that God often does speak to his people before he does something new. Noah was warned by God about something that God was going to do that had not been done before. Things that were not seen as yet. And the Lord spoke to us through the gifts of the Spirit a few moments ago and said, as real as this earth is, I am. And even though you cannot see me, I don't remember it word for word, but the message was that God is as real, if not more real, than anything else. And tonight, for a few minutes perhaps, I'm going to preach about things not seen as yet. Amen. There are a lot of examples in the Scripture of God giving advance notice, a warning, or letting people know of an outcome or an action that may happen that they've never seen before. We, we heard about it this morning. Brother Steve mentioned about in the beginning in the garden, Adam and Eve were told that if they ate of the forbidden fruit, that they would surely die. Now, to us, death is not a new concept. But for Adam and Eve, they'd never even seen death. They'd never known anybody that had died. Death was something that was not a part of their existence. And they were told by the Lord that if they followed a particular path, that something that they'd never seen before would happen. And up until that point, nobody had ever seen death, but because God said it would happen, happened it did. Amen. When the Lord called Abraham, He made Abraham a lot of promises. Called him out of the place where he lived. He told him about things that would happen in his life and told him about things that would come to pass through his lineage or through his descendants. And Abraham only saw some of those things come to pass before he died. But they all happened. Everything that God promised Abraham did come to pass. And one of the stories we hear so often when we talk or we preach about Abraham is that the Lord said to Abraham that he and his wife Sarah, who the Bible very bluntly describes the their advanced age as their bodies being dead. They were not actually dead. They were still alive. But it was a statement of the fact that the time for procreation or having babies was long finished. Their bodies were dead. And yet the Lord said, you guys are going to have a baby. And they said, really, God? Really? 
people as old as us don't have babies. All of their peers, however many were still around, had grandchildren and great-grandchildren. They weren't really in that sort of age bracket when you expect people to have children. You can imagine parents, if you were 100 years old, or 103 or 104, the first time you took Junior to daycare, or the first interview about kindergarten or preschool, and you walk in and there's all these people in their 30s, and a 105-year-old man comes in, tagging his three-year-old along by the hand. They were things you did not see. And the fact is that Sarah laughed at the idea. She was eavesdropping a little bit, it seems, when she heard the angel speak, and she went, as if that's going to happen. She knew exactly how old she was. She knew that she and her husband were well past their use-by date when it came to starting a family. And the angel even challenged her and said, well, you know, you laughed. And she said, no, no, it wasn't me. I didn't laugh. He said, yeah, you did. But God said that it was going to come to pass. And even though it was something that they'd never seen happen before in people of that age, it came to pass. And the Bible says that Sarah laughed a second time. The first time was almost mockingly in disbelief, but the second time was in amazement that God would give her and Abraham a child in their advanced age. And she laughed, and that's why Isaac's name means laughter. God warned Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Told him ahead of time. And Abraham was able to intercede for the lives of his nephew Lot and his family. That story has a lot of tragedy in it, but the Lord did warn Abraham ahead of time. Something was going to happen. The idea of fire and brimstone falling out of the heavens and consuming cities wasn't something that happened every day. But God said to Abraham, I'm going to do it. And he did. Amen. We move ahead to the book of Exodus. And after nine plagues in Egypt, God gave Moses instructions for the first Passover. And he told him very clearly what would happen to people that did not follow those instructions. It was something that had never happened before. Nobody else is recorded as ever having painted their house with animal blood before that story in the book of Exodus. Or nobody else had ever seen a situation where the firstborn in every house in a whole land was killed in a single night. But it happened. Things they'd not seen before. Amen. But there just seems to be something about us as people, something that seems to be woven into our human nature, that we are naturally skeptical, that we would rather doubt than believe. We're suspicious. And maybe in some areas of life, there's some safety in being a little bit suspicious. If you get a lot of strange emails, I would suggest you treat them suspiciously. But there's something in us that even when things have been demonstrated to be trustworthy, such as the Word of God, humanity's natural approach is to be skeptical. I haven't seen that before, therefore I won't believe in it. Sister Emma this morning mentioned that Thomas Edison had many critics about his efforts because they didn't believe in his plans and the things he said that could come to pass. And yet they came to pass. How many of you have an iPad? Raise your hand if you own an iPad of some kind tonight. All right, we've got people from all age groups and different cultures. You know, when the idea of the iPad, when the concept was first presented, at one of those big fancy Apple demonstrations that Steve Jobs loved to do, the critics said, it's a stupid idea. 
People will never like it. It's not really a computer. It's not really this. It'll never take off. To this day, around the world, 338 million iPads have been sold. Now, I did the maths on that. That means from the day the first one went on sale till today, almost 140,000 iPads are sold every day around the world. It'll never work. I would have liked the slice of getting in at the beginning of that investment. Three, nearly 300 and four, probably 340 million by now. The stats I got were about a week old, so this is probably still going now. But there is something in us that we doubt. There was a man, I think it might have been in Texas, who was trying to get people together to back his idea of drilling into the ground to get to oil. And their response to him was, you're nuts. You're going to drill into the ground to look for oil? And now look at where we're at in the world when it comes to drilling. In the, we don't just drill in the ground for oil. People go to war over it. Ideas that people have said it'll never work. There was an, an, an expert in explosions that said the atomic bomb would never go off at the end of the Second World War. He said it won't work. The bomb won't go off. History records differently. Amen. Talking about things not seen as yet. And so Noah, we read about Noah in Hebrews 11, but if you, if you read through the story in Genesis, and for the sake of time I'm going to pick bits out, Noah lived in a world where mankind was abandoning God. I mean, all disregard for God. In fact, the Lord said that the thoughts and the intents of their hearts were continually evil. They didn't just have bad days, they were stuck in evil. That was their default setting. And God finds himself so grieved at the state of his creation that he attempts or declares that he is going to provide a complete solution and wipe the planet clean. Every living thing. But, and one of the most important little words in the Bible in the book of Genesis chapter 6 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And so in the midst of a society that was corrupt and perverse and void of all godliness, a window of time was opened. And an opportunity to escape judgment was made available. And Noah was given very strict instructions. The Lord just didn't say, well, Noah, I think you're a good guy. I want you to do what you think is best and I'll make up the slack. No, he gave Noah very specific instructions. He said, Noah, you're going to build a boat. We know it better as an ark. And he told Noah the exact dimensions, the measurements of that thing. And it wasn't really, if you look at it, it probably wasn't, it didn't really look like a boat. It looked like a giant floating shoebox. It's just a big rectangle, basically. I don't think it had twin holes and turbo pro. It was just a big wooden box. And God gave Noah very strict dimensions. He said, I want you to make it out of a particular kind of wood. How to go for wood. He said, I want you to pitch it, or basically like a natural sort of like a bitumen product, waterproof it within and without. He was to put one window and one door. And then when he finally spent the huge amount of energy building this thing, he had to turn it into a giant indoor zoo. And go and get all these animals and bring them into the ark. All of this. All of this instruction, all of this detail hanging on a promise 
of something that nobody had ever seen happen before. All of this he did for decades, only on the Word of God. Nothing else, no scientific research, no facts, no public opinion polls, no trends in his family or in his society or in his culture. He had a word from God. And God said, I'm going to do something that nobody has ever seen before. And Noah decided, and I'm pretty sure that I'm glad he did. He decided to trust in God. And day in and day out, he built and he preached. The New Testament tells us he was a preacher of righteousness. And some days he might have preached more than he built. And if we're honest and he was human, there are some days he probably did neither. There are some days he probably said, not today. Can't do this today. But he got up again and he continued to build. And he continued to build and to gather the materials. I'm talking about things not seen as yet. We don't know how far Noah had to go to transport the gopher wood. You know, even if there was a lot of it nearby, that boat was a big thing. So once he'd cleared out the local area, he had to go further. Because God said, not just any wood, he said, gopher wood. You get gopher wood. And so he had to go further and he had to transport that. And I imagine there were days when he was, I don't know how they transported that wood, whether they had fancy roller systems or on animals or he and his sons were just really strong i don't know but i promise you that there were days that lugging that gopher wood they walked past other trees that were big and strong and would have been perfect for timber that tree would be fantastic for some planks some beams of timber but it's not gopher wood and so they kept going the distance and coming back again amen Applying the pitch, if you've ever studied how big the ark actually was, and if you don't know, have a chat to Brother Frost. That's his pet subject. I'm not being facetious. I'm serious. He knows a lot more about the book of Genesis than I do. You imagine it was hot, sticky work all over the outside of this thing. And by the time they did the outside, really, look, the inside as well? Maybe just along the handrails at the top or, no, inside and outside. Amen. Big job. And his message. So you've got this poor man in a godless society building the weirdest thing that anybody in the neighborhood's ever seen. Very fussy about how, I mean, people may have come and said, look, we brought you some wood. No, sorry, it's not go for it. Take it away. And he's preaching at the same time. And what's his message? God loves you. No, no. His message is destruction's coming. God is going to destroy the earth. There's one way to get out of that. It's in this thing this monstrous floating zoo that I'm building. His message was not popular. It was full of judgment and destruction. And maybe in the decades that he was building that ark, some very well-meaning people, got to love well-meaning people, some well-meaning people came to him and said, Noah, we think you might need to find a better way to communicate the message. Perhaps destruction is, is just an allegory or, or a word picture. It's not really going to happen. It's just a message that God's trying to get across. Not really destruction. And, and really, you know, the idea of water coming from the sky. Never seen rain before. You're looking up thinking, yeah, don't know how that's going to happen. Nothing up there but blue skies. 
You maybe, maybe Noah, maybe you've misinterpreted what God was saying. Your intentions are good, but maybe, you know, decades he's building this thing. People, well-meaning people, and maybe they came to him and said, well, you know, while we're talking about making the message easier or more palatable for people, we think you should get some new lights. Maybe a band, a band. We need a band. And a coffee bar in the back, but not near the skunk section. And all these people that were trying to find a way to make the message easier to swallow. But the message wasn't a happy message. The message was that the earth is a disastrous mess. And if you want to be saved, there's one way off this thing. And it's in Noah's floating zoo. It's the only way to escape the judgment of God. Things not seen as yet. People probably came from far and wide. You see, there was no internet back then. No TV. It wasn't a lot of entertainment, but as word spread from town to town, hey, you know, over the hills, on the, there's this old guy building this giant thing he says is going to float. Next weekend, let's go and see this crazy old man. People come from miles around to look at the giant boat and the crazy preacher. Nowadays, they'd all be taking selfies with the crazy preacher. This mad old man that thinks God's going to destroy the world. And the only way out is through his boat. Do you really believe that stuff, Noah? Seriously. That God's going to make water, which up until that point had never been on the ground. He's going to make it come out. Of, how's it getting up there, Noah? How's the water getting in the sky? Noah wasn't a meteorologist. He was an apprentice boat builder. He couldn't explain it. But he had heard from God about things not seen as yet. Amen. But then, as we all know, the book of Genesis is not a fairy tale. The things that are recorded there actually happen. And the, do- the time came when the door was closed. Noah and his family went in. The Lord said it's time to come in. The Bible says that God shut the door. Nothing changed. I don't know how long it took, whether it was hours or a day or two, but suddenly the heavens begin to fill with black storm clouds, things that people had never seen before. And it became overcast and dark during the day, and people thought, what in the world is going on? And then the first droplets, big old droplets of rain, begin to hit the dry earth. And everybody realized the old man was right. But it was too late. The door was closed. Talking about things not seen as yet. It was too late. The Lord said it was going to happen. He told Noah. Noah had preached until he was hoarse. Noah had probably told so many people in many days. He thought, why am I bothering? Nobody is listening. But he knew that God had spoken to him. He obviously believed it. The Bible, book of James tells us that Faith without works is dead. If he didn't really have faith, there would have been no ark. He wouldn't have done what the Lord said. Amen. And so we jump all the way forward to the New Testament. We find a man by the name of Jesus Christ walking the streets of Israel, telling the people that would listen about some things that, again, had not been seen before. Talked about a kingdom of heaven. Talked about a place that he was going to prepare talked about a spirit that was going to become and poured out upon people. 
And when things got really serious, he talked about the fact that there was somewhere he had to go where they couldn't go with him. He said, I'm going to die, but on the third day, I'm going to raise myself up from the dead. I hadn't seen that before. That had never happened before, but he did it. They crucified him. They put him in another man's tomb. The angels rolled that big, ugly stone away. And when they came looking, the angels said, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He did what he said he would do. And even though they'd never seen it before, he did what he said he would do. And still some people doubted. They got together, the apostles, and they said, Jesus is risen. And Thomas said, frankly, I doubt it. He said, unless I see the scars in his hands, thrust my hand into the hole in his side, I'm going to stay on the side of skeptic. You're not going to play this prank on me. And then Jesus miraculously just comes into the room and says, here I am, Thomas. You know, you don't read of Thomas actually doing it. It wasn't necessary. When he saw Jesus, he was convinced. Amen. Amen. The Lord said, he spoke about a kingdom of heaven, spoke about a place that was available for all of us to go. But he said there was some conditions. Just like a Noah's boat, there's only one door. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in. He met with an old religious man in John chapter 3 named Nicodemus. And he said to him, Nicodemus, unless you're born again of the water and of the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so tonight we're not talking about a floating zoo or a giant boat or a big wooden box, but we're talking about being able to enter into something that right now, just like in Noah's day, the door is open. And there are things that the Lord has said are going to come to pass that we've not seen yet. Just like Noah hadn't seen rain. Just like everybody in his day had never seen rain. There are things that the Scripture says that Jesus is going to do that I've not seen yet. And neither have you. But right now is our window of opportunity. While that door is open to say, if he's done all this other stuff, I want my opportunity to get into the church of the living God so that when that day comes and he closes that door, I'm on the inside looking out, not on the outside looking in. Hallelujah. You know, outside that ark, when that ark began to rise unsteadily on that water, those people could have been saying all kinds of things. They might have been cursing Noah, cursing God, cursing everything. But you know, the one thing they could not say was we didn't no. Everything else they could say, but they could not say. Nobody told me. Noah spent decades telling them, but they did not believe him. Hallelujah. And then even after the Lord ascended into heaven, Cass, if you want to find the piano, please. The Lord said to them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. I'd never seen that before either. What's this promise of the Father? 120 people in an upper room in a prayer meeting waiting for something that Jesus has promised them, but they've never seen it before, but they're not really exactly sure what it is or how it's going to happen. And the Bible says when the day of Pentecost was fully come and they were all in one place in one accord, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. And that place was filled with that sound and they all begin to be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They'd never seen that before. 
And when they came down the stairs, staggering under the power of God's Spirit and spilled out into the street, the people that were gathered there said, these guys are drunk because they'd never seen it before either. And Peter stood up and did his best to control what was going on because the Holy Ghost was flowing through his body powerfully. And he stood up and he said, we are not drunk, as you suppose, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Something that God said that nobody had seen yet, but he said, because we believed, we've seen it. Because we believed and we hang on, we've seen it come to pass. And every one of you that's here, that's been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, knows that there was a time when somebody told you about it. When they were having trouble, if they're anything like me, having trouble trying to really put the words together to explain what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because the people that you're talking to have not seen it yet. But every, so many times when I've been either at an altar at the front of a church or who knows where, praying with somebody, and they're filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time. So many times they've said to me, now I understand what you were talking about. Now I understand. Why? Because it was something they hadn't seen or heard before. But then it came to pass. Hallelujah. You know, there are some people that suggest that we should soften our message, that the wood we use doesn't really matter. Whether or not we pitch the boat, the dimensions are, you know, maybe not so important. But, you know, one of the things you hear in a lot of Christianity today, which is terrifying, is that hell isn't actually real. That it's just a, it's an idea that has been conjured up through church tradition to put fear into people. And I would suggest that fear of hell is a very healthy thing. But it's not something that we've conjured up. We heard about it this morning. It's very real. It's in the Scripture. Now, have I seen it yet? No, no. I haven't. Well, I believe it's there. Because he also said, in my father's house are many mansions. I've never seen them either. <laughs> but he said, if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he said, I'm going to come back that where I am, that you may be also. You see, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, the last last part of the chapter, Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. Why was it a mystery? He'd never seen it before. He had a word from God, but he didn't know what it was going to be like. He said, I show you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep. In other words, some of us won't die a natural death. But he said, we shall all be changed. He said, it's going to happen in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, he said, there's going to be a trumpet that sounds. And then those people that died in Christ, in other words, those people that walked through the door before their lives came to an end, and those people that are alive and remain, in other words, those folks that have walked through that door, they've been born again of water and spirit, and they've stayed on the inside. He said, in that moment of time, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And all this, this body, which is got to use by date, I'm getting older. We're all getting older. I'm one day closer to my death date than I was yesterday. That's just the facts. I don't know when it is. I'm not in a hurry to get there either, to be honest. But this mortal body, 
is going to put on immortality. This corruptible body, it's health issues, it's whatever things that we've all inherited genetically from our forebears. That corruption is going to put on incorruption. And we shall be changed. I don't know how that works. Jesus said in, in Matthew, he said there's going to be two people working together in a field somewhere. And one's going to disappear. The other one's going to be there. Two in a bed, one's taken, one's left. Two women grinding at the mill and one will be taken and the other one will be left. That speaks to us about the speed that this is going to happen at. Can I really, can I, do I feel like we're going to feel ourselves lift off the ground? Or is it just going to be instantaneous? I'm not exactly sure. You know why? Because I haven't seen it before. Something we've not seen yet. But it's there in the book. And if the same one that said to me that I could be filled with his spirit, and then he gave me his spirit. Same one who said that if I would be baptized in his name, I could have my sins washed away. And he washed them away. Same one who said that he would never leave me or forsake me, and he's never left me nor forsaken me. If everything else that he said that he would do and that he was has come to pass, I'm happy to trust him with the rest. Stand with me tonight if you would. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a day coming. The Bible makes it very clear that nobody knows when that day will be. People say, well, churches use that to make people afraid. If you're not afraid of hell, then I would suggest you need to rethink that. But there's a day coming, and in a moment's time, everything changes. And all the things that we read about, that nobody's ever seen. What will it be like to be immortal? To no, have no health issues, no corruption anymore? What will it be like to see the heavenly city? What will it be like to, to go before the throne of God in a fashion where I don't have any weariness, I've got no sin, I've got no distractions, no heartaches, none of that. All that junk is gone and I can just come into His presence. Look to my left and see my brothers and sisters around me those from years and centuries gone before. I don't know exactly how all that's going to work. There's, there's a lot of discussion about the finer details of heaven, and some of that's unknown. Why? Because nobody's ever seen it. But it's coming. And as we worship the Lord tonight, if you're not ready for that day, if you're not sure, I urge you, there's something coming you've not seen. And one of two options is definitely going to come to pass and just like those people that Noah preached to there's an open door here tonight it's not a wooden boat but Jesus is here and he's saying the door's still open if you want to come in you don't have to miss out nobody's seen it yet but it's coming everything else he said has come to pass but that door is still open hallelujah I want to be there on that day and say I knew it was going to happen I knew if I hung on one more day, one more week, one more year, he's going to come back for me. Lift your hands and worship him for a moment tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, there are some things that seem hard to believe, 
There are some things, Lord, just like Noah's flood that seem so far away and so impossible. But then one day it happened, and Lord, we know that you're coming back for your people. Tonight, Lord, I pray for every soul that is in this house tonight, Lord God. God, that we would not let that opportunity pass us by. God, while that door is still open, I want to be in the church, Lord God. I want to be in that place that when, when you return, I will go to be with you, Lord Jesus, and see all those things come to pass. This altar is open if you want to find a place to pray tonight. If you want to come and say, God, let your spirit flow through me again, Lord God. Remind me again, Lord, of why I'm in this thing. Get my eyes back on the prize, Lord God, I pray. There's a promise that's coming. I don't understand it all. But if I'm faithful, I'm going to see it come to pass. Oh, hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, there are things you've not seen before. But oh, what a day that will be. When my Jesus, I will see. Just to look upon his face. Hallelujah. Let's worship him, ladies.